Hello, you're listening to Ruth and I'm your host at Behaviour Change Marketing Bootcamp Podcast. In today's episode, we meet Rebecca Roberts. Rebecca and I chat. We ask each other questions about each other in an effort to get to know each other. Why are we getting to know each other? Because we are plotting behind the scenes to bring you something very, very special for 2024. Now, Rebecca is a complete pro at marketing and comms in youth, young adults, sports, higher ed, further ed. Her career is incredible. She will share all of that with you in the episode. And I really hope you enjoy just this different style. It's very relaxed. And then we reveal all at the end of the episode. So please hang on in there. Please listen all the way through. See what the news is and let us know what you think. And as always, please do share with your friends and your reviews. Your reviews mean everything. But thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy. Hello, we are delighted to welcome into the studio today, Rebecca Roberts. Rebecca Roberts is an expert in marketing and youth education, higher education, further education. And we've got some exciting news together. So we thought we would one, announce our news to you, but two, perhaps do a different style of interview where we interview each other just as a way of introducing each other and as a way of kind of explaining to you where we're coming from and why we're doing what we're doing. So does that make sense, Rebecca? Is that what we discussed? I think that's pretty much what we discussed, yeah. Exciting news and then just a good old chat. (laughs) So shall we leave the exciting news to the end? Uh, Yeah. Oh gosh, like what a cliffhanger. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's just hope everyone thinks it's as much of of a cliffhanger. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got a joint gig coming up, which we're going to offer you, which we will explain more at the end, but we've kind of brought our worlds together. There's a lot of synergy and a lot of overlap and is so needed. So we've decided to do something together for everyone to help them in their marketing. But before we go down that road, we've got, what is it, five or six questions that we're just going to ask each other in order to really break down some barriers for everyone. Because I know everyone listens to my podcast, that they all know me, but they probably don't know Rebecca. And Rebecca's going to air this on her podcast. And of course, her guys don't know me. So to get us started, Rebecca, who was Rebecca when she was 16 years old? I was, yeah, a challenging teen, I think. And now I have a preteen as well. So that's all fun. And I wouldn't say challenging as in like a real rebel, but I think a lot of the things, so my background is like working in sport and higher ed, as you said, and then work with a lot with kind of sports charities now and youth charities and that kind of thing and and really passionate about engaging youth young audiences and I think a key thing for me a lot of things dropped off as I got to that kind of teenage things like hobbies sport all those kind of things you know puberty is like a real challenge for teen girls I think with that type of thing around identity and yes share my age we didn't have social media but I think the influences of kind of pop culture magazines and that kind of comparison the thief of joy thing we all kind we all go through I kind of see that a lot in kind of today and how young people kind of are challenged with that in terms of social media and kind of maintaining their identity as they kind of go into sort of teenhood so yeah I was kind of a, a, a Mardi teen and dropped off my my, <laughs> my dreams of being a pianist and a ballerina for probably boyfriends and trying to look grown up and go out and pretend I was 18 is probably what my main thing at 16. <laughs> what about you Ruth? <laughs> well do you know scarily 
I was just going to use the exact same phrase. So we haven't pre-prepped these questions at all. I was going to say I was a nightmare. And I feel like, well, I have actually apologised to my dad. (laughs) Now I have a 15-year-old. I'm like, oh, goodness me. I had no appreciation of the pain of parenthood and the worry and the stress. So, but I was, I loved hockey. I was, I was quite active. Our local nightclub was a club called Esquires. So you would probably find me in there when I shouldn't have been. It was like rock music and goth music. And all I ever wanted to do was go to Camden Market and get my leather jacket, which I did. (laughs) And then draw on it, you know, paint on it and everything like that. But yeah, no, I was a happy 16 year old generally, but I probably a little bit rebellious, but nothing that exciting. But when I do look back, I do think, oh my God, my poor parents. Yeah. It's that kind of <laughs> definitely time. wasn't into my education. <laughs> yeah, that kind of came a bit later. But that kind of whole thing about selfish teens, I think that's just like part of the course. It's just like part of growing up. But yeah, difficult to parent and difficult to kind of, I guess, engage ethically from a marketing perspective. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's experience you would never put on your CV, but it's definitely grounding us for working with higher ed and further ed, I would say. So sort of jumping forward to now, what has your experience in marketing and sort of higher ed been and why Thread and Fable? Tell me how that was born. Yeah. So I worked in mainly performance sports, so marketing and comms and sort of PR roles. So I did, um, I worked for British Volleyball. I worked at West Brom Football Club in Premiership Football. And then I did, yeah. And then I did about seven or eight years at the English Institute of Sport, which they look after all the sports science and medicine for elite athletes. So I did three Olympic cycles, worked for Team GB in London 2012. So really great experience. And we did quite a lot of, we were starting to do more kind of marketing to students wanting to progress their career. So that was like my first sort of taste of kind of like an educational product and loved that. And then a job came up at Keele University. So I did two years as Deputy Director of Marketing and Student Communication and recruitment there which is great and really good experience and it's quite like and anyone in higher ed will tell you it's kind of like groundhog day you kind of recruit your students and then it's like it's like elf you know that scene in elf and they're like yay christmas is a great success let's prepare for next christmas because the cycle is like very constant Uh, yeah and that was really great and then i kind of worked with a lot of different agencies actually as kind of an in-house person and pointing different contracts and i guess the frustration for me was you'd get these massive agencies that the pitch was amazing and then the the delivery was always like whoever could be bothered and you'd end up doing so much of it yourself and i felt that I could offer something as Thread and Fable with the network I had of practitioners and freelancers to do something a bit different. So, yeah, I set up in 2017 and, yeah, I work across sport, higher education, done quite a lot of colleges as well and national education campaigns and then quite a lot of stuff for like the NHS and a lot of charities and youth charities. So, yeah, young people, but also kind of I do have experience in Marcom, so I do that, you know, as interim as well. So, yeah, that's kind of me. But, yeah, 20 years or so, which makes me feel horrendously old. What about you, Ruth? Wow. Yeah. So how did I end up at boot camp? I think boot camp got me, to be honest. It's kind of, it wasn't planned. It wasn't supposed to be this way. So gosh, I did communication sociology and I went into publishing. So I worked for the big boys, Capita, EMAP, the publishing houses. In Informa, we had a really big public sector publications wing, as it were, and then a big life sciences. So healthcare comms. And I worked there. And then I just thought, right, I'm going to go and work for the NHS. It just seemed to offer so much more for the skills and 
a bit like, you know, publishing is is quite repetitive, but in a sense that I just wanted to do a little bit more with the marketing. I wanted to work a bit closer with people. And so I went to work at London Hospital, which was amazing. And then I just kind of made my way around the NHS system into primary care, public health, public health England. And but I just got lucky because when behavioural science was born, I was just in the right place at the right time. Training was freely given. Everyone was expected in marketing to train up in it. Can you believe it? In public health, everyone was expected to train. And there was people going around the country training people. And I just had a really forward thinking director of public health that I wasn't in the comms team in the sense when I was working at the hospital, I was, this is how old I was. Friday night was News of the World night. So News of the World is gone. Friday night was inquiries from News of the World about some dodgy thing. And so when I went to public health, I was really lucky. I wasn't in the response mode. I wasn't in press office. I wasn't managing a department. Suddenly I was managing campaigns and managing audience insight, which I absolutely fell in love with. And behavioural science for me just took it to a whole new level. But there weren't that many people who could deliver it at that point. So we used to do a lot in-house and would work with like quite traditional market research agencies to develop it. And a bit like yourself, I would end up doing a lot myself. And then I was being asked by other people, could I do their market research? And sorry, their sort of behavioural deep dives. And when COVID hit and I was working at Public Health England, I ended up doing so much training then. And I just carried it on because I just fell in love with the training. And I think over 20 years of delivering campaigns, I was like, okay, this is okay to have a break from campaigns, focus in and share all of the learning. And boot camp's now going into its fourth year. We've had nearly 400 people through the doors in our team and our live sessions. So yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing, really happy. And it was completely unplanned, as you could probably tell from when you go back to the early days, we were just sitting on Eventbrite. And now we've got our dedicated site and everything. So in a nutshell, that's me. I've got a bit of a detour question for you now, Rebecca. What's your favourite Netflix series? God, I saw this just now and was like, I'm so random, eclectic, I think is probably the word of things I watch. So I like Stranger Things, which is an odd one because I really hate like horror and gore. Like I hate scary stuff. It's just not my thing. But I like kind of like that. And I'm watching, I'm trying to think of stuff I watched. I watched the Beckham documentary on Netflix, which is a bit random. I quite like those. And they've got a Robbie Williams ones, one at the moment. And I think living in Stoke-on-Trent, that's been quite fun to watch that. A bit of a flashback to my 90s youth of being an autistic 16-year-old and not a take that fan, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I really, and like looping, like thriller stuff's quite good. I quite like that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. How about you? Murder mystery. Yeah. Wow. Just going to David Beckham. Did you see all the gifts that came out when the Netflix was released? Everyone's going, he cleans as well. <laughs> Could well, you get anyone I more am, perfect? Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> I found it really fun. I liked it. It was quite an interesting dynamic to see kind of their relationship, which I thought they came across quite as pretty nice, I thought. Um, and there's quite a fun, some funny stuff. And I saw her the other day. She's released a T-shirt that said, my dad drove me to school in a Rolls Royce because there's that scene where she said you know as a working class like he's there creeping the door saying what car did your dad drive and so I thought that was quite (laughs) funny like yeah it was just a bit different what kind of stuff do you like watching (laughs) oh god I'm embarrassing if you turned on Netflix now and looked at my channel which yeah it's embarrassing it's selling the OC or selling sunset I'm addicted I'm addicted. Everyone said about this and I've not I've not yet seen it. Is it worth is it one of those guilty pleasure things? 
It really is. So it's the kind of thing you can have on in the background. You will get dragged in. All I'm saying is you will think, oh, yeah, half an hour, 40 minutes, and then you'll be there three hours later wondering what has happened to your life, what's happened to your brain. Why is it so good? And then with your comms hat on, you're like, yeah, why is this so good? Yeah, I have to admit, I do watch it with my son. He's 15, so he absolutely finds it hilarious. <laughs> but it's the how. Houses. It's the like I did not know people live like that. I'm like, where have I been? Devon. <laughs> and I feel the like I need to watch this now. I need to have a little look. I feel like mine's too serious and full of murder and yeah, scariness. <laughs> yeah, it's either that absolute rubbish or anything with vampires in it. I have to admit, which is another guilty pleasure. I know. So when I watch TV, I just want to switch off from reality. I think working in healthcare and the politics that surrounds healthcare and literally when you're managing a press office, you just see your job on the news 24-7 and mostly it will really annoy you because it's been misrepresented. So I'm like, I have to have something that's absolutely nothing to do with real life. <laughs> if I'm having some downtime, which I guess they know. And I guess I'm one of many because it's so popular. That's like their target audience, like people that want a complete distraction from reality. (laughs) Yes, switch off. Okay, fab. Right. So we're going to go answer two tips. What one tip would you tell Rebecca from 10 years ago? So you don't have to do ages if you don't want to. But if you're looking back 10 years ago, what would you tell her? I've got two kids that are 12 and 10. So I just had my second. And I think it would be just to believe that you can just still go for stuff and change your career and not worry about that kind of stuff. Because I think taking a leap to work for myself seven years ago, almost felt huge, but actually it really wasn't. And I should just, yeah, I still, (laughs) a year ago, I probably still say things like back myself more and just kind of, yeah, just believe that it'll all work out. What about you? What would you say to yourself 10 years ago? That's lovely. (laughs) That's so nice. I think you're right, though. Just any females getting out there after babies, you have to believe in yourself. Yeah. What would I say to myself 10 years ago? Oh, my gosh. How old was Henry? Henry was two. I was really tired. (laughs) So... You will sleep I'd again. Say, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say just be really kind and nicer to yourself. And like you, do not worry. Worry is wasted energy. I think I worried about everything. George would have been starting school, so I would have been worried about that. Henry would have been in childcare, so I would have been worried about that. Work deadlines. I think that's just one big worry, ball of worry. And I probably would have said put self-care first. It's like pouring from an empty cup. As a working mum, that's really don't true. Put yourself at the bottom. I think there's another thing as well. I saw something the other day. Like you expected to work like you don't have a child, and you expect to be a, a parent like you don't have work. And that juggle when you are a working parent is, I, f- I think, guilt constantly. Like, am I doing enough here? Am I doing enough there? And I think I became quite un- unapologetic to the point actually I had a. A verbal disagreement with someone in a meeting, a woman who didn't have children and said, I don't think it's appropriate when you bring up your kids in a meeting. And I said, it's really funny because the two senior men around the table, you didn't say that to. And she was like, went really red. I went, oh my God, I didn't, did I? And I was like, no, I actually joined in their conversation because they were talking about the birth of their second child. And she was like, oh my God, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to make a point of doing it more often because it's part of me. And I think it's really, sometimes there's a, a woman and you can take on a senior role, you feel like you can't talk about that or it's unprofessional. And I think actually, no, double down, be yourself because it's 
you, you know, you can bring yourself to work. Not all of it. I mean, like, sometimes you just want to go, I'm really, really tired. I've not slept. But I think that that identity crisis you kind of have where you're kind of not sure what to be where, I think you just, yeah, forget all that and be kind to yourself. Yeah. No, you're so right, though. It's like giving yourself a sense of permission to be yourself because you have changed. Your identity has changed. You're a mum, but you are expected almost or we do it to ourselves. We keep our old identity. So like when you put your work clothes on, then it's old me that goes to work. But my brain is going, well, actually, old you. <laughs> you might have been tired from a hangover. You're now tired from three weeks, no sleep. Completely different. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I think, like you say, I think it can add value. I think COVID really broke down the barriers a lot and brought the home life and made people a lot more real and a lot more rounded. And I think when I had George was when I first looked at my career and looked at what I was doing. And I was like, what am I doing? I have this huge responsibility and I wanted more. And suddenly I was probably more focused and I was so desperate to go and get him after childcare. I pretty much did more, I think, during that day, you know, to not be late. My boundaries with meetings were higher. I'd be like, no, no, yes. You know, focus, focus, probably a bit boring, you know, <laughs> in the sense that not as chatty and things but I really was laser focused in order to one move for my development so I could support him but also just to get out of there on time you know in their first little and then when Henry came along I was the opposite I was like oh just stay for another half an hour because when I get home I'm not gonna get a cup of tea yeah we've all been there <laughs> so what one tip would you tell Rebecca from 20 years oh, ago I was were you five. a higher ed then <laughs> No, no, I was, <laughs> I was 21. I was at university. And I think, do you know, I think with marketing and comms and I kind of did some of this, but like I, I didn't box myself in. I felt really bad that so I had a lot of friends that were like, yeah, I'm going into particular sectors and really knew what they wanted to do. And I still didn't really. And, and my whole degree was like, I did a bachelor of science in management because I wasn't a hundred percent sure which area of business I liked. And I think with marketing, like keep your mind and your ideas open to what you might want to learn because I think that's a useful skill in terms of marketing comms moves really fast like social media was only just coming around 20 years ago and we're just sort of like all making the decision to try out Facebook and all that kind of stuff and or MSN at time <laughs> god that's something to sound 100 but I think being open to learning skills so when I managed for example I managed a digital team at one point in my career and I knew about comms but I wasn't au fait with a lot of the stuff they were doing and I did like a coding course like a free coding course from the Code Academy which is excellent because when they were talking about stuff not because I wanted to pretend I knew everything but I just wanted to have some level of literacy to understand some of the problems they were talking about and I and I was also did it to kind of take the mick out myself a little bit because I was like it's so hard and I think that being open to learning new things and trying new things particularly in Marcoms I would have kind of said to myself 20 years ago just be continue to be open to that and also not be afraid of other people being brilliant <laughs> Because again, that's that other yes. thing. And, and I say it when I've done mentoring before, like if you're managing people, like I love it when people are really great and special at what they do and it doesn't take away from you. But I think that in terms of your career, because at that time when people were like, you know, like you, there's always got friends who just knew exactly what they wanted to do and exactly where they wanted to go. And I, I still probably, I kind of do, but I'm just not that type of person, but that's okay for them. And I think just that kind of, that comparison and just that, that theme would yeah. be something I'd talk about. That's a long tip. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's really nice. Just be nicer to yourself. Well, for me, I 
oh my gosh, I did comms at uni, communication sociology, but I was surrounded by absolute geniuses. So in my journalism module, we had to read out our writing. Oh, I did not want to read after these guys because they were incredible, absolutely incredible. And they'd always wanted to be a journalist. They wanted to do journalism. And I kind of stumbled in there going, oh, that sounds nice. And then a photography course, you know, for passionate people live and breathe it. That was where they lived in the dark room. And again, I kind of stumbled in there and I realized I was like, oh, OK, Everyone really has a huge passion for what they're doing and they really want to focus and go there. And I was a bit in awe and then equally a little bit lost. I was like, oh, what do I want to do? Which is why I think, yeah, if I was going to look back 20 years, I would, I, <laughs> the tip I don't have to give myself is to enjoy London. I was like, I would not leave London. You could not pay me enough to get me out of London. I was the, I loved London in my 20s. But I think the tip would be just to enjoy university more, just to actually, it's as much about understanding yourself and growing your life skills and critical thinking. And actually, I would say that. I kind of wish I'd had a break between school and uni because I think I was so cognitively exhausted by the end of uni, kind of thought, that's it, I've had enough for learning. And the thought of doing any learning ever again was horrific. Whereas actually, now you're older, you kind of know it's a lifelong thing and you've really just got to get on with it and not worry about, like you say, whether you're where you're coming in class. It's just about you. It's just about, and when I think now, like to higher ed and university students now, their decisions they're making around whether they go to uni, they're so different to the ones I had to make. I just had to go through the clearing process because I wasn't sure, didn't know where I was going. But their decisions seem so much, they seem more adult. And I don't think I would have been ready It starts <laughs> a lot. to make such adult decisions. Yeah, and it starts a lot earlier, which I think people kind of, there's a couple of things that happen in higher ed, like ma- major things. So obviously the cost of it. So it's so now so much yeah. more expensive to perhaps when we were at uni. You know, a lot of universities are charging you know, up to 9,000 9, a year. And also coupled with that, like the cost of living, everything else, it is an expensive thing to do. So the barriers are there. And there is this real challenge where you know a degree alone won't necessarily stand you out a lot of people can access or are going to get degrees so it's finding the right degree and there is a pressure and it makes it slightly transactional and uncomfortable that you know if I'm paying for this degree it must then therefore equate to a job that is going to be worthwhile doing which is true however often that means that studying for the love of a subject is kind of traded off with how career ready is this degree? So there's that kind of value for money debate, which is ongoing, I think, in higher ed. And yeah, I just think the decision making for university starts so much earlier. We're seeing younger and younger teens going off to open days to think about that. And I think that's pushed down, you know, the pressure of exams and and that kind of whole decision path is kind of cemented at a much younger age. And I think I was exposed to Yes, because we had the university come to the sort of year 11. So we had them come and talk, which I couldn't believe. Oh, no, it was the sixth form thing. 
So down here in Devon, everyone chooses a sixth form, yeah. which was very different to where I grew up. You just carried on at your old school. Everyone had a sixth form. But down here, not every school does, but some do. And there's big colleges, so they all kind of have to promote themselves almost to get the child to choose. And then I'm all of a sudden very involved, which I was reflecting back on. My parents wouldn't have been involved in my decision as much, whereas I'm hovering as a decision maker going, God, you're going to come out with this much debt. You have to really want this. And so suddenly the college, choice of college is equally as important because that feeds into the the uni decision. Yeah, it's ma- it is massive. And I think, you know, I think students have a very tough time. There's loads of reports. I won't bore you with a load of stuff, but for accommodation alone, there's a real mismatch with the number of people, young people needing student accommodation to what's available now and the cost of that and the quality of that. So that's a particular challenge. I mean, there's, there's lots of things over the past couple of years where students were getting places, particularly in clearing. There was, you know, they're having to travel like miles and miles and miles to actually get from their accommodation. You know, and half of students last year you know cut back on food because of cost of living you know food (laughs) so it's just and you layer on intersectionality around you know disability race socioeconomic background and that's kind of heightened so I think it isn't easy I think the thought of being a student previously was around you know it's great you can do all these things you know I remember working through uni to help financially I was first in family to go to university as well but I think a lot of that is, you know, even more challenging now for a lot of students and, and those who are working are kind of trading off, like, can I afford to, am I keeping up with my subject? Am I doing everything I need to do? So, yeah, it's not necessarily the easiest choice. Yeah. And it does kind of polarise the decision as well. Did I make the right choice or the wrong choice? Which then really stresses the decision even further, doesn't it? And I can see like as a parent, you're looking at it quite differently to a child because I shouldn't say child. There you go. My teenager will kill me. Young adult because they are young adults. But as an adult, as a parent, you're thinking, well, I understand the weight of that debt. There's no way you're going to understand that. Not because you can't, just because that's a life experience thing. Yeah. And so you do automatically think, well, how are you going to pay it off? How are you going to start? Especially when you think about the cost of houses and, you know, them having some sort of housing security. So yeah, as a parent, your your brain just starts <laughs> going, it spirals. And if you're working in marketing and in higher ed, I can imagine you ha- you need to know and understand all these decision points. Yeah, and it's the the offer of higher education. It, it, interestingly, I've just put out a podcast on my podcast um, on the challenge of FE marketing because they're in a really sandwich position between kind of school and higher ed, and it's really like a challenging market. Higher ed is still extremely challenging, and I think the the biggest like challenges making sure you're you know doing like sustainable approaches to kind of engaging students with the offer and making sure that value for money is there and it, and is a true reflection of what the university is offering but yeah it is an ever-changing kind of cycle and I think sometimes you get very distracted with you know I talk about youth trends but I also make sure that I talk about the context of what young people are experiencing there is a lot out there like hey, check this trend on TikTok and these trends. And, and that is always important, but it isn't as important as thinking about, you know, the it's the biggest decision that young person's made. It's probably the first big decision they've ever made in their life. And, you know, it's like, it's akin to buying a house, you know, you look around and you get a feel for a place and you think, is this right for me kind of thing? Well, university is exactly like that because you're looking around, you're thinking, can I imagine myself here? You know, alumni marketing has a really big, role to play in thinking, well, is that career going to lead somewhere? But, you know, really, and I guess, you know, 
people will kind of relate to this, but for a lot of student marketing is, can that young person imagine them being at that institution you know we we'd get inquiries like well what are the curtains like in this hall what do i what the what's the food like because they're trying to visualize their life there they are maybe thinking a few years down the line but some won't be some you know so that whole emotional decision and with big parental influences who are often maybe supporting financially is actually quite complex and also we go back to the whole thing that not all young adults are the same so yeah yeah exactly (laughs) Yeah. And what's the new generation called? Generation is, Alpha. Um, so that's kind that's of like, it. I, it's like the iPad generation, kind of 2010 onwards. It's like okay. my daughter's kind of end below. And, you know, they're sort of getting into teens now. So they're, they're already now facing that whole thing where they're getting colleges and universities visiting them. There'll be outreach programs from universities they might have experienced. So, you know, for higher ed marketers, they need to be thinking about that generation coming up as well as Gen Z, obviously, as they kind of mature. Yeah. Exciting. So this kind of leads us really nicely onto what's happening. Do you want to say, do you want me to say, you can, how we you announce can it? say, oh, you go for it. <laughs> We're so planned. <laughs> well, as you just heard everything Rebecca just said, understanding your audience is absolutely critical for higher ed and FE marketing. And so we have come together to design a one day bootcamp day. So we have a higher ed and I should say further ed and higher ed bootcamp special. 29th of February, it's one whole day looking at how we can use behavioral science to understand audiences but also tackle the key challenges that are being faced now. So I'm bringing the behavioural science and Rebecca's bringing the higher and FE sort of perspective. And together we will sort of dedicate the day for workshops as always, but you will nail behavioural science. So we absolutely promise that within the first workshop, you will have mind blown penny drop moments in ways to understand your audience. And then we're going to deep dive on actually on Generation Alpha, aren't we? We are, yeah. Rebecca's going to lead that. And Rebecca's going to bring all of the updates on these youth trends, which will be fantastic. And then we'll actually spend the afternoon looking at applying behavioural science, applying the behavioural biases, which you probably see a lot on LinkedIn, but you can use them wrong. You can, there's some very easy mistakes to make on behavioural biases, which we can help you avoid, but also get uber confident using them to solve your challenges. So it's all based, like Rebecca said, in context. But context is absolutely key to behavioural science, it's absolutely key to FE and HE. So for that reason, we've only got 25 spots on the day available because we really want to guarantee the quality of the learning. But also because it's online, they're brilliant sessions because they bring people from all around the country. So you get this unique opportunity to network with people tackling the same issues as you as well. And then on top of that, because it is a boot camp day, you get access to all of the behavioural science training, all of the videos and all of the masterclasses as well. And we're encouraging you to bring a problem, aren't we? So like bring a real life challenge or some things you're working on to kind of tackle on the day. So it's a real practical kind of opportunity as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally encourage everyone to bring their challenge, their work challenge. You don't need to know it in detail. You don't have to have the answer. The whole idea is that you'll spend the day and you'll use behavioural science to get the answer. So in the morning, we are very much about diagnosis and empathising. So you'll do some empathy mapping. In the afternoon, that's when we move to design and content. So you 
just need to know your challenge. You don't have to have the answers or too much information at that point, because sometimes it's quite good to be quite open and allow you to be creative. Yeah. So is there anything else we need to tell them? Do you think, Rebecca? No, just I, I just think I wish this had been around when I was in higher ed. And it's really useful because I think that behavioural science approach will just really equip you. You'll feel that kind of, you'll just feel like you've got that grounding to kind of throw at any campaign or any challenge you've got. Um, and we know they do keep coming in higher ed and further ed. So, yeah, I think that'd be a really great one. Yeah. And well, in true training style, we've got an early bird for bookings. So if you book before January the 12th, which is the second Friday, you get the early bird. Now, just to say that that is for teams as well. So if you've got a larger team than six, please actually just email us and we'll have a chat with you because you'll probably be better suited to a team training. And we've only got five spots up until the end of March for the team trainings. So that's Rebecca and I coming together. We will run a bespoke boot camp for your team and we'll do a lot of work up front to get to know your challenge and bring a bit more depth to those days. So if your team is more than six, yeah let's chat and we'll probably do a bespoke. But for those, we've only got five spots at the moment. Okay. So if you want to know more, please go to www.behaviorchange.marketing forward slash F-E-H-E. So that's www.behaviorchange.marketing forward slash F-E-H-E. That's a tongue twister. Oh, but I'm so excited. And thank you so much. I'm loving working with you, Rebecca. So yeah, I'm really excited about the sessions. Yeah, you too. I think we've got like a really great day planned. I can't wait to share some of the insights and new research around younger generations that I think would be really helpful coupled with your uh, behavioural science stuff. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So we can't wait to meet you all there. Any questions, just get in touch. And thank you for coming on, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. We're so delighted you joined us. And if you got any value out of this at all, or even if you just simply had a little chuckle, please do share it with anyone you think it may benefit.